Welcome to Him We Proclaim, a podcast devoted to the preaching ministry of the Mount Church. Know that the following sermon is specifically intended to build up our local church in Clemson, South Carolina. Feel free to listen along and distribute what you hear, while prioritizing what we pray is the faithful preaching ministry of the healthy local church to which you meaningfully belong. With that, all grace to you as you listen to this episode of Him We Proclaim. All right, let me invite you to open a Bible to John chapter 18 as we continue to worship the Lord together by preaching and by God's grace in receiving His Word. So John 18, beginning in verse 28, and we will read to the end of the chapter. John records under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that they then led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. And then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. 
So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So let's pray. Oh Lord, your word is living and active. And our prayer right now, as it's been read, as we dive into it here, is that you would cause it, prove it, to be living and active in every single one of our souls. The words that I have to share are just the words of a man seeking to explain the Word of God. But we need a greater teacher than myself. So please come and you yourself teach us. Teach us where only you can teach us in our hearts about the truth of Jesus. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What is truth? That was a question. What is truth? If we ask and consider that honestly and humbly, there's no greater question to pose or answer to discover. It's truly fascinating, eternally critical, and naturally confounding. But should it be? Should the truth be confounding? Must it be confounding? Why on earth would it be confounding? Maybe you've seen this on social media. A guy sets up a table in a public space, puts up a sign with a bold claim, and then dares people to counter it. Such and such an athlete is the goat. Tell me I'm wrong. A man is this. A woman is this. Convince me I'm wrong. What if we did that, and our claim was this, Jesus is the truth. You can't know anything rightly without knowing Jesus truly. Prove me to be an error. Is there any doubt that someone would try? It's crazy to think that there was a time in this very world when if that were openly stated, it would have been universally embraced. Now, it would have only been two people. Okay? But it's a sad commentary on all of their children, Adam and Eve. A sad commentary on them, on you and me, that we now come into the world allied against the truth with every fiber of our blinded hearts. You say, I don't know about all that. That seems rather dramatic, Brian. I'll just ask you, can the Word of God lie? Can the Word of God lie? Talk about your all-critical questions. The serpent would certainly have you believe that as uh, would the sin that's red and tooth and claw, if only to preserve its sovereignty, oh, believe that the Word of God is not true. 
My friends, they work. Satan, sin. They work such that the truth can be standing right in front of us. God in the flesh. Only for our responses to range from dismissiveness to murder. Jesus in our text this morning is tried, but as we'll see, it's really man that's on trial. For our rejection of the truth, it's man that's self-condemned. It's only a world meriting the curse that would crucify the one that God sent into the world to show the way to heaven through the grace of His royal cross. And so God here this morning, He sets up His table in public and He says, say whatever you want. Try to prove whatever you want. Jesus is the truth. Take me at my word. And so let's go to it. Our first heading is truth despised. Sinners seeking the cross for Christ. Which is a far cry, isn't it? From sinners seeking Christ at the cross. Those are different things. Friends here, it's in our hearts by nature to be rid of Jesus. To seek the death of Christ, if only we might spare our sins. Now you'll want to note there that I did not say to be spared our sins, but to spare our sins, to coddle them, to keep them, to hold on to them. And of course, what's so peculiar about these folks in our text is that they are meticulously religious, which we're to see is not at all exclusive, apparently, with being spiritually wretched. It seems it's a growing crowd now with the Jewish religious leadership at the head as Jesus is led to Pilate and John wants us to see nothing short of spiritual tragedy. Because Pilate is a Gentile. And his headquarters then have to be, in their minds, infected with religious corruption. These folks, concerned with ritual purity, refused to enter this Gentile space so that they might eat the Passover with a good conscience. That's all verse 28. And I hope you discern all the spiritual tragedy in that. While they're in earnest for purity and Passover, so very aware of being defiled, they show no hesitation at all in killing an innocent man. They have no visible qualms with denying jurisprudence to Jesus. For religious reasons, they'd rather steer clear of Pilate's headquarters, his space, than have the Christ renew their own hearts. They'd eat the Passover and be reminded of their bitter slavery in Egypt and of their deliverance out of Egypt and how God spared them the judgment they also deserved by the atoning blood of the lambs. Right? They're in earnest for it here, and yet they know nothing about it. In truth. How do we know that? Because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And if they could, they'd rather have Him wiped off the face of the earth than have Him wash away their sins. It is alarming how we can do these two things at once. Engage in acts of devotion, and at the same time, want God incarnate dead. Oh dear ones, we can be here this morning 
without engaging in true worship. You understand that, right? In fact, we can be here all day, every day, giving attention to the finest details of corporate worship and covenant renewal, and not only not worship, not only miss the Christ and point of it all, but be so self-deluded and spiritually deceived about what actually defiles us and who actually cleanses us that we have for all intents and purposes practically handed Jesus over for execution. Who needs Him? Rid of Him. We need to have our hearts broken at that point. Is there any doubt that it's in our churches? Traditions have set in. This is how we do things. Very passionate about it. Then the Bible enters the assembly. The Word of God with its Christ focus, sovereign sufficient, seeing, saving, sanctifying. It enters into the assembly and cages are rattled, errors are exposed, souls are sifted, glorious discomfort settles in. But instead of bowing with joy to that, we bow up in angst. Hearts accustomed to the mere appearance instead of the power of godliness. Hearts accustomed to the non invasive habit of cultural religion are like to be offended by the intended Christianity of Jesus the Christ. Again, no amount of religious activity can make up for the biblical worship of the resurrected heart. Clearly, it is no guarantee of love to Christ or love to God, or love to the things of the Holy Spirit. Clearly. Friends, we are so prone to worshiping worship at the expense of Jesus. But new hearts and true worship will inevitably revolve around the weight of His glory. And it is a tragedy that these here in our text see nothing of it. What about you this morning? Do you see what's at the root of their enmity? It's an untrue view of themselves. And if you have an untrue view of yourselves, guess what? You're going to have an untrue view of Jesus. They show up on Pilate's doorstep here. In courtesy, he comes out to them. He asks them, verse 29, What accusation do you bring against this man? And notice what they answer. Or rather, don't answer. In verse 30, they're like, Pilate, come now. If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. In other words, they have no substantiated charges to make against Jesus. Zero. Their answer, which is basic to unbelief, assumes two things that will stifle the truth. Pilate, you know we are trustworthy. You know that we are believable. We are 
the righteous people. Therefore, you know, if we're accusing this man, if we've gone so far as to bring him to you, he must be guilty. Because we're righteous. And he's not righteous. He's in the habit, in fact, of doing evil, is what they say. I just want to say, if you hang tight right there with them, you will, though God forbid it, inhabit hell for eternity. Jesus did not come to save a people who stand pat in seeing absolutely no need of Him. He came to call sinners to repentance. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came into the world to save the worst of sinners. And even he, Paul, thought he was more than fine without Jesus. You go to Philippians chapter 3. He thought he was more than fine without Jesus until he saw by the light of Christ his glory. He was not. This crowd, so wary of any supposed uncleanness within Pilate's walls, is entirely oblivious to the manifest uncleanness within their own hearts. They're slaves to a lie. They despise the truth that Jesus exposes. That they are sinners in need of the Savior's mercy. Indeed, that their righteousness, their self-righteousness, is perhaps one of the greatest sins of all. Precisely because it convinces us again and again and again who needs Him. I'm good just as I am. Is that how you conceive of reality this morning? I'm good just as I am. If so, you've believed a lie and not the truth. Because if you saw by the light of grace, you would confess your absolute need of grace. Dear ones, I don't know of anything more important than that we know ourselves and Jesus Christ straight and true to the Word of God. A gracious heart, a heart that is slammed full of grace from heaven will be exactly opposite the hearts here at the beginning of our passage. We will be quick to claim our own sins and quicker still to collapse then upon the Savior. Finding Him guiltless, we will accuse ourselves and look to His grace for pardon. We will build our hope on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. In short, we will be a gospel people who find the Savior's defenses infinitely better than all of our self-defenses. But these here persist in their self-defenses. And so when Pilate has an opportunity to put a lid on the flood of sin's flow here, he instead tells them, if you look at verse 31, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. He puts the ball back in their court. Their response here is very curious. They say it's unlawful for them to put anyone to death. 
And that's curious because that's not true. They had provision in their law to do this. They just did not have cause. And very probably, they didn't want responsibility. Intuitively, they wanted deniability. They wanted the ability to wash their hands of the cross that they seek out for Jesus. He was rather popular after all. They didn't like that. And so against their consciences... They wanted to feel as if their self-righteousness was still intact. They want to feel justified in the execution of the justifier of all who believe. And to be certain, I imagine Pilate's shock, right? Man, how is it even? What has he done? What could he possibly have done that they want to have him executed? in the Roman manner of execution. They want Jesus to be discredited. That's what they want. How does that happen? Well, you go read in the Old Testament, or maybe in Galatians, where we're going to be in the fall, and everyone who is hanged on a tree is what? Accursed by God. Now then, it's a staple of the Bible to tell us no purpose of God can be thwarted, nor any word of Jesus. That's verse 32 here. The death of Christ by crucifixion was at no mere suggestion of man. That's not what's guiding this thing along to the cross. It was, as we read earlier, the will of God to crush him. And Jesus knew that. It's just that whereas they sought out the cross to be rid of him, that vile man... God sought it out to redeem vile men by Him. There is no shirking our role in the death of Jesus. Hear it. We are responsible. We just need to thank God that also we happen to be redeemable by grace. Sinners have sought out the cross for Jesus. Now Jesus reveals His kingdom to Pilate. Truth has been despised. What now? Look at verse 33. Jesus is in Pilate's space, and Pilate comes to him and questions him. Are you the king of the Jews? No doubt Jesus does not look like a king to Pilate. It takes grace to see his glory. It takes mercy to see his majesty. Nature alone sees nothing glorious about Jesus of Nazareth. So at any rate, Jesus wants to clarify for him, verse 34, Pilate, is your curiosity your own, right? Is this an open and meaningful inquiry? Or is it all a matter of secondhand hearsay and just, you know, legal due process? I just want to see here how Jesus is always trying to move people from inconsiderate conjecture to sober consideration. He's always trying to move people from passive inquiry, all right, let's get on with it, to inquiry with eternity on the line. Yes, indeed, let's get on with the truth that matters for forever. How does Pilate answer him? He answers him dismissively. Am I a Jew? Your own nation 
and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. All of that, all of that is meant to communicate the insignificance of Jesus to this Roman governor. Listen, you are a bound criminal. You're a bound criminal to a people who are bound to me and to my sovereign state. Jesus, you are nothing to me. I'm above all this. But I have a job to do. I have a peace to keep. So tell me, what exactly have you done? Friends, let's never cease to be amazed at just how wrong we can be. If Pilate were able to be warped like 700 years prior and put in the place of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 where the holy angels cover their faces before, we know from John 12, this king in his pre-incarnate glory. If they were able to take him out to the Mount of Transfiguration and let him lay his eyes on Jesus there, brighter than the sun. If they were able to guide him around the events of the gospel as we've seen these events unfold before us. If they were to let him hear the testifying life of a Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. Man, one would hope that Pilate's response would be drastically different than the one that you get. But at this point, it's hard to blame Pilate, I think, really. After all, it's not as if this people of God, these that should have known the Christ, have just now given Pilate the best testimony about him. He who has an ear to hear, hear that. If Jesus is insignificant to the people of God, to you and to me, is it any wonder that he would be insignificant to one bearing no mind to God at all? Beloved, just how significant is Jesus to you? Do our lives more or less criminalize Jesus? put him in the dock as insignificant? Or do our lives crystallize Jesus and put him on display for all that he is? Fact is, this significance equation is really a seesaw. When we elevate ourselves, Christ will appear insignificant. But when, like John we are happy to decrease if only Jesus might increase. He will begin to loom significantly, sovereignly, supremely as He ought to loom. But here He is before Pilate, and Pilate counts himself a titan in comparison to Jesus. He doesn't heed the words of Paul that if anyone thinks he is something... When he is nothing, he deceives himself. Just there you've bought into a lie. 
Church, it matters that instead of making mountains out of our molehills, we give a faithful testimony to Jesus as all in all. Otherwise, we give folks like Pilate reason to be dismissive about him. But now you'll notice Pilate is a curious fellow. You see his question in the verse 35? What a question. <laughs> Later on in the gospel, John's going to be like, Jesus did so much. If he had like a library that was as big as the world, it wouldn't be able to contain it. And Pilate's like, tell me, what have you done? Why do your own people want you crucified? And Jesus' answer is so revealing in verse 36. His answer to that question is, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. His kingdom comes from God. Its origins and operations are otherworldly. And so to Pilate's question, what have you done to be in the spot that you're in? Jesus essentially answers, all I have done is come into the world and bring God's kingdom with me. Jesus is not the problem. Jesus is the solution. The problem is that the world that He's brought this kingdom into is fallen. It's in rebellion against God. It and not Christ is evil. It's in bed with the dominion of sin and Satan and darkness. And so there it is. There it is, the explanation for the way that the world is, the way people are, and why then we would deliver over the King of Heaven to death by crucifixion. Jesus has obeyed the Father without fault. He's exercised this rule, this perfect rule of grace and truth. He's made God, the living God, manifest on earth. He's done heavenly good to all people. He's done no actual evil against any soul. But because of that, He's got to go. He's got to die. He is a menace to our godless society. What have you done, Jesus? It's very simple. My kingdom is not of this world. Verse 37. We need to see that what Pilate gets out of this is just, so you are a king. So you may be a threat after all. Yes and no, Pilate. Is he a threat to Caesar the way that Pilate thinks he might be a threat to Caesar? Is he a threat to Pilate in that same fashion? The answer is no, not exactly. But is Jesus a threat to the darkness in Pilate? Is he a threat to the serpent's blinding power in people? Is he a threat to sin's death grip upon your heart? You better believe it. You say, I'm a king. That's true. But again, 
I'm not a king, Pilate, as you think I am. That's why Jesus responds with the purpose of his coming into the world, the purpose of what we call his incarnation. You and I exist with purpose, right? That's why you get up in the morning, right? No? Okay. That's why I get up in the morning. You exist with purpose. That purpose is ultimately to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And then, of course, we say things like, listen, oh, that, that guy, he was born to play the piano. They were born to sing, born to write, born to throw that football, right? Born to interrupt sermons. I'm just kidding. We love it. Born to inspire and things of that nature. Okay. The eternal Son of God, the eternal Son of God, was born. <laughs> was born to bear witness to the truth. The purpose statement for the ministry of Jesus is for the truth. I reveal truth. And it wasn't just what Christ did, it's who He is. He is, John 8, the light of the world. He is, John 1, God fleshed out. He is the good news King of kings. He's the Word incarnate, in the flesh. Again, no hyperbole. Jesus was God walking and talking on earth. He was, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, perfect Jesus is truth. So friends, you needn't persist in nor insist upon our truth and my truth or let's just forget the whole enterprise, no truth at all. Especially when it comes to knowing the only true God. God has once and for all disclosed Himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know yourself? Do you want to know God? Do you want to know the truth? If so, you only need listen to Jesus in earnest for grace. Everyone, Jesus says, who is of the truth, listens to my voice above all others. Everyone, Pilate. Everyone. How desperate our need then to be born again. How desperate our need to be given an ear that hears nothing but the truth in the word of Christ, the sweetest sound that ever a sinner's ear could hear. But what does Pilate hear? What does Pilate hear? Pilate hears only the idealistic, however ignorant, musings of an insignificant, however innocent man, sadly, but easily dismissed. 
verse 38. Pilate said to him, What is truth? That that ends the interrogation only settles the indifference with which Pilate said that. So let's just see how ignorant we are of the truth by nature. Truth can be standing right in front of us, speaking. And unless he exchange our old heart for a new one, all we, like Pilate, could care less about the truth that matters most. We'd rather stop our ears with all this earth if only to cancel out the saving call of heaven. And we're like to miss heaven on that very account. Well, as we need to do here, we just pray that the Holy Spirit would unplug your ears for this. We've seen truth despised. We've seen truth dismissed. But now we come to truth displayed. Or Jesus taking the place of Barabbas. Uh, we might have missed it in the back and forth. But I want you to note, according to Jesus, there is a kingdom beyond this world. Christ came into this world from there. And He did so to bring us to it. And this is made more plain and profound, I think, if we go back to verse 36, just for a second, and see what differentiates the kingdom of Christ from all the kingdoms of men. Jesus is proven to be the King of glory not by being delivered from the cross, but by submitting Himself to the cross. Do you want to know the truth? Do you want to see the King in all of His beauty? <laughs> uh, it's not just going to Isaiah 6. It's not just in His transfiguration or in all of His miracles. It's also seen, I would say, supremely in this. His beauty, His glory is seen in Christ crucified. Oh, to see His divine majesty in the dreadful misery of the cross. We do not preach Christ transfigured. I mean, we can. And do. That's not our main thing. What is? We preach Christ crucified. We glory in the cross, Paul says. Why? Well, let's see. Pilate has gone back out to the Jews with a declaration better than he knows of Jesus' utter innocence. I find, verse 38, no guilt in him. But again, when Pilate then could just let him go free, he calls upon a custom. And per that custom, in exhibition of the Passover, a person guilty as charged was passed over. They were granted forgiveness. They were made right with the state. They were cleared of all charges and set free. 
So Pilate, finding no fault in Jesus and clever as he was, goes out to the crowd and he calls on them to choose. Jesus! This innocent man! Or Barabbas. And we know from the other Gospels that Pilate's done this thinking this should be an easy win for Jesus. Barabbas has been picked opposite Jesus because Barabbas is just the worst. He's a notorious sinner. At the very least, he's a thief and a murderer. And I don't doubt that Pilate picks him because he's so famously wicked. Barabbas, which means son of the father, the father's son, is the chief of criminals. Pilate seems to even put Jesus forward here for release. You want me to let go the king of the Jews? Surely he'll be the choice. But as we also are wont to do, Pilate has simply underestimated the power of sin in the hearts of people. Releasing Jesus is all too rational. But one thing we know about sin, it is never rational. It's pure evil. And to hold on to its reign in a person's heart, it would rather have a robber let loose on the streets than have a redeemer enter in to the heart and get it out of there. I'm sure Pilate is stunned as in verse 40, the people cry out again, not this man, not the king of the Jews, not Jesus. Give us Barabbas. One Barabbas for another. One son of a father for the son of the father. It is of God that in the release of the wrong man to the people, the only righteous man would die for the people. Do you see the Lamb of God in this? Do you see how He takes away the sin of the world in this? Do you see the wonder of what's going to be just around the corner? Come back. we got another couple of weeks. We'll be at the cross. Do you see the wonder that will be Christ crucified for us? In our place, condemned He stood do you think Barabbas expected to be picked and pardoned? I mean, I'm, I'm sure he hoped that he would be the one that they would pick and pardon. But my bet is he highly doubted that he would be the one. What about you? Would you be picked and pardoned by God? By God. Repent of your sins and believe in the truth. You say, what is truth? The truth is that God has revealed the way into the kingdom of heaven 
to guilty sinners like you and me through the death of King Jesus. That's the truth. In John's gospel, again, the cross is right around the corner. It's coming. And once Jesus is on that cross, we know Jesus will have taken our place. And he will have taken our place not just before a sinful mob, but before the holy God. Jesus bore the cross. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. What kind of person is crucified on either side of him? A thief? And a thief, and what is Barabbas? A thief and a murderer. Jesus bore the cross that was intended for Barabbas. Dear ones, the cross also was set aside for you. That cross was for you. And for me, it was ours to bear the penalty of our sins. It was ours to suffer the justice of God. It was ours to be imprisoned to an eternity of hell. Right? The, the stately crimes of Barabbas have nothing on our sins against God. Barabbas may have been on trial for being this kind of crime lord, but the worst sinners, the worst sinners in the place were those who were out in the crowd, the normal folk, saying, give us Jesus, crucify Him. I love how John ends it. Now Barabbas was a robber. But what are you and I any better? And yet far better, the King of Heaven took our place on the cross, paid the penalty of all our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. Oh, He's a King, all right. He's the Prince of our everlasting peace with God. So just name your sins. Barabbas was a robber and other things. Just name your sins. Name them all the way down. If ever you could. What Jesus has done on the cross is more than enough to justify and set you free to be with God forever. This is why we glory in the cross. This is why we preach Christ crucified. It's just the truth. Displayed for the salvation and joy of our souls. Friend, let me ask you, what will you do with that truth today? Even if you never have before, won't you just take God at His word? Jesus is tried here. And not just true. He's tried and He's truth. Beloved, let's be rock solid right there. Where the world despises and dismisses it, let's you and I, let's delight in it. Let's put our feet 
in Barabbas' shoes and walk around a bit, never forgetting in every step, this is the walk of a person freed by the love of Jesus who took my place. (laughs) This is the life of a sinner pardoned by the death of the Savior King. You get in his shoes, you look around. Man, so this is the king's highway. My, how the truth has set us free indeed. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we we look to you. from the beginning throughout to now. Preach a better sermon to our hearts than the one that's just been preached. Pour out your grace. Pour out your spirit. Save and sanctify. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.